You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. Hey, hey. How's it going? I'm good. I'm I'm excited because I'm I'm swamped this week. I like the buzz. It's it's Valentine's, so there's so much going on with events and with some media stuff and projects. Today's been a, a wild day. You've got a lot on the go. At least it seems like that from somebody looking in from I the like outside. I like it though. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's like I feel alive until I stop though. Then I just feel like. What do you mean? Up. Until you, oh, you mean like just physical exhaustion? Like I just shouldn't sit down. Oh, just, just keep going. Yeah, just sitting down makes me too chilled. So, you know, just lots going on, and uh, I have a big announcement as well. So I'm I'm going to start with that topic because it relates to HIV prevention, and it involves a new partner. And I really think that raising awareness of this topic can make a big difference. So, you know, rates of HIV in the U.S. have continued to decrease, but the epidemic itself is really far from over. And since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen more barriers to HIV testing, to prevention, to treatment, and obviously sexual health and pleasure really intersect with overall health. And, you know, my job, I feel, is to increase these conversations and try and deepen understanding when it comes to overall sexual health, including the prevention of HIV through the use of tools like PrEP or pre-exposure prophylaxis. And so this is why I'm super excited about this announcement and this partner. I'm excited to be working with Walgreens now to encourage anyone who could potentially be at risk for HIV to reach out to their local Walgreens pharmacist to discuss their options. So Walgreens pharmacists have special training in compassionate and confidential HIV care, including prevention options and medication counseling and how to qualify for free programs like Ready, Set, Prep. So that is a nationwide effort led by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, which provides PrEP medications at no cost to folks who qualify. And So you can talk to a pharmacist confidentially uh, in a private room in the store, or you can call in, or you can just chat online via their pharmacy chat. So I encourage people to to check it out to learn more. It's walgreens.com slash prep or walgreens.com slash P-R-E-P. That's such amazing news. And I was really excited when I heard that you had uh, secured them as as a partner. But it's amazing to me to think about where... HIV prevention has come from, you know, over the last couple of decades, this, you know, the idea of PrEP now as a, as a prophylactic. Yeah. Now, most people probably don't know that I actually started my career in sexuality working primarily in HIV. So when I was doing my, my research in school, in teacher training, we were focused on three topics, healthy relationships, HIV AIDS, and sexual pleasure, because these were the topics that Toronto teens identified as their top priorities via something called the Toronto Teen Survey, which was a partnership research project between three universities here that interviewed teens who wouldn't normally be included in this type of research. So teens who were newcomers to Canada, more queer students, and other students who tend to be forced to the margins. And 
when I was in school, I can't remember if it was while I was doing my research or after, shortly thereafter, but I started working freelance with a number of aid service organizations as a trainer and as a speaker. And I worked with uh, an aid service organization up in Fort McMurray, Alberta, which is like oil, oil country. And I helped to launch a sexual health and STI counseling hotline in a region that was hit really hard in terms of HIV and STI rates on account of, I guess, the way the oil economy had affected population movement and growth. And the executive director of that aid service organization, his name was Davin Sibaran, he, I went to school with him, in fact, he was really focused on sexuality as a part of the HIV discussion. And th- this was over a decade ago. And he really realized and emphasized that you can't talk about HIV prevention without also talking about sex, the the pleasure, the options, the behavior, and not just condom use. And he was, you know, fairly young at the time because uh, we're the same age. So I, I think he was in his late 20s. And he was just really ahead of his time. He gave me so many opportunities in this field at a time when many people in public health still refused to talk about sex and definitely were leaving pleasure out of the equation. So, you know, working with these aid service organizations and going to conferences and back then, PrEP was really in its infancy and, and in fact was still in clinical trials. But, you know, fast forward just over a decade and we're in a very different situation now. So PrEP, for people who don't know, or it's a pre, it's an acronym for pre-exposure prophylaxis, is a daily pill that can reduce the risk of sexually transmitted HIV by about 99% wow, when used amazing. consistently. Yeah, and so you may have even heard of some of the brand names. So Truvada was the first drug approved for PrEP for both men and women by the FDA in 2012. And then seven years later, another, a second drug, Descovy, uh, D-E-S-C-O-V-Y, was approved by the FDA for use by men in both forms of PrEP are highly effective. It's it's like birth control in that you take it every day. And so efficacy rates, as I said, according to the CDC, are 99% for sexual transmission and 74% for transmission via injectable drugs. And it's interesting. I was, I was reading up that some studies have shown even higher efficacy rates with consistent PrEP use among gay and bisexual men and transgender women. And um, I, I, th- I should note that while PrEP is highly effective in preventing HIV, it doesn't protect against other sexually transmitted diseases, you know, gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, and other STDs or STIs, which require condom use. So, you know, I, I should mention, I want to talk about PrEP a little because it's, it's newer to me because I haven't been, um, you know, engaged with this research as much in the last couple of years as I could be. But uh, so PrEP is something you take every day. It's not immediately effective. Um, So, you know, like birth control, you can't just take one pill. (laughs) You have to take it, um, you know, it takes seven days with PrEP to reach maximum protection for um, HIV transmission reduction through receptive anal sex. So seven days if you're having receptive anal sex. And if you're having receptive vaginal sex or drug use, it's, it takes about 20 days to reach maximum efficacy. And this doesn't mean you can stop taking it at that time. It's just it becomes 
high, it becomes at its highest rate of efficacy at that time. And you have to keep taking it every day as prescribed to maintain protection. I, I want to kind of emphasize, of course, I'm getting my information from the CDC and sharing it with you. So um, you want to obviously talk to your local pharmacist, your healthcare provider, and uh, do, of course, your local pharmacist at Walgreens because they're in almost every community. And I wanted to mention that in the U.S. it's covered by insurance plans. It's covered by Medicaid and Medicare. But if you don't have any insurance, the Ready, Set, Prep program provides prep, should provide prep at no cost. And that's where your Walgreens pharmacist can assist with connecting you to the program. And, you know, one of our guests recently actually mentioned that she's on prep. And I had wished during that interview that I could have engaged with her on the topic, but we just had so much to cover. But uh, we really need to open up that conversation to normalize these prevention tools. So <laughs> it's a long way of saying, uh, you know, I'm really excited that Walgreens reached out to us about their prevention efforts because it's really just a huge sign of how much has changed in the last, you know, decade or so. Uh, I'll say 10 years ago when when I graduated, you know, big brands didn't want to talk about sex, even though they, you know, maybe were selling condoms and lube and birth control and STI drugs. But now, as public health agencies have kind of shifted the conversation, right, in light of COVID, we've seen big public health agencies across North America, you know, from New York and beyond, actually talking about sex, talking about wearing a mask and making it kinky and cutting a hole in a wall and all of those things. Um, so, you know, they're bringing sex talk into the open, and that's really my hope with this campaign. And I know it's a long announcement, but I think the prep update is an important one, and I encourage you to use it yourself and please share it with your friends, your family, your partners, your clients. Let them know that Walgreens pharmacists can answer your questions either, and I appreciate this, via text, you know, chatting online because, you know, I don't like to talk on the phone. For those of you who do like to talk on the phone, there's a hotline or in store and they can help you, you know, get connected with the programs that will ensure access if you're not insured. It's amazing in the midst of a of a pandemic of a different sort that there's this positive news about another epidemic that you know you know can be essentially lessen the impact like there's so much positive there's so much positive news out of this announcement and about this this program but not uh, you know you say it's an epidemic it need not be an epidemic because of the prevention opportunities because of the treatment um, you know, HIV does not need to be an epidemic, and we need to increase testing. We need to increase prevention measures. So, yeah, um, this this is a, a good start, and so I hope that this is the very beginning of a conversation that we keep going. So, today we are answering your questions about a number of topics: how to initiate sex, how to manage anger. We've got one for you, Brandon. Um, the apology languages and and a few others, hopefully. So let's see how many we can get to. Uh, I really appreciate the messages folks send me. I mean, most of them. <laughs> no. Could <laughs> quantify that. No, you know, it's so nice like to wake up to messages where people, you know, either appreciated an episode or had some feedback or send in their questions. Uh, I do try and read everything. I don't always get to it right away, but I'm I'm thankful for your feedback. So this person writes in from Denver. He says, I'm 59. She's 61. Been married for 26 years. We're empty nesters living in COVID times. Frequency is about two to three times a month, but it's gotten very 
predictable. Can you help me with sexual initiation? I want to keep things fresh. Well, we can try. Brandon, how do you initiate sex? Oh, geez. Um, sometimes I'm very lazy and uh, I do the, uh, what is it? What do you call it? The poke the, from the, behind. The po- <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I know you're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I know you're there. And then other times I find that I, I do have to kind of, I have to push myself. I know that I enjoy sex. I know that, that my I know that you enjoy sex, so I know that if I just push myself to initiate, that it's going to likely be a win-win for all parties. But how do you initiate? So yes, the poke from behind, like especially in the shower lately. You like come into the shower, I'm like, no, I'll just hang my towel on that. Just hold my towel. <laughs> um, how else do I initiate? You're, I feel like you're putting me on the spot. I mean, the poke from behind is, is my go-to. What else do I do? You tell me. So I, I tend to initiate sex by... Um, touching, caressing, kind of stroking your body. I think that that's what works. And and it's funny because as I'm saying what I do, I know that that's what works for me. Like I know that that sensuous touch is what uh, relaxes me and kind of gets me into the headspace physically and mentally into sex. So I do that when we're trying, when I'm trying to initiate sex with you. Yeah, you're very, you're definitely physical. I think most people think physically when they think about sexual initiation. You know, I guess I want to begin by talking about planting sex seeds. So this is from our latest book, the book that I wrote with Marla, The Ultimate Guide to Seduction and Foreplay. And I make sure I plug it so that you know that this is Marla's work too, because sex seeds are actually her creation. And she describes them as seductive clues about what is to come in a future sexual experience. So they can be planted in the morning if you want to get busy at night, or you can plant them throughout the week before you meet. And, you know, she says to really consider what type of sex your lover likes. So do they like it romantic? Do they like to be filmed? Are they publicly experimental? And really think about an erotic activity that you can plan on your own and plant a seed to set the tone. So if your partner likes to be spanked, maybe you're leaving a spanking instrument in their car, like a paddle or a spoon from the kitchen, or maybe you leave a photo of it in their purse or their briefcase, or maybe you leave them a note in their lunch bag and text them a photo of it, you know, in your hands. The idea is you're watering the sex seed, kind of leaving additional clues. And I know people aren't really going to work right now, but still you have different areas of your home you can use. And It's interesting because Marla reminds us that this whole process of planting sex seeds can kind of offer a distraction to reduce stress overall and help you to kind of weave eroticism throughout your day-to-day interactions. So I think the most important thing that I would want to emphasize is that initiating sex can't really happen on the spot, right? Like it is really about the way you interact at breakfast for the evening or on Monday for Friday, And so it's interesting, Brandon, that you say that you initiate like through touch because you you definitely do. (laughs) That's what you do. But you do things throughout the day that set the tone, right? You're not, you're not, I wouldn't say you're super like, you're not super sexual, like you're not making innuendos or anything (laughs) like that. But but you touch me all day long, right? Like we're, we're at home together. Um, currently in quarantine, quarantine yes, <laughs> as, as most people are. But like when you pass me, you kind of hold on to me. Or when you came to take your iPad off the couch, you're like touching my head. Um, so I think that you're, you're very, very physical. And so you're planting those seeds 
throughout the day. Not necessarily because you want to have sex tonight. I mean, I don't know. Do you want to have sex tonight? Sure. I would like to have some sex tonight. <sighs> okay, but it, it, you, you're shaking your head as you, <laughs> as gonna, you respond back. <laughs> I've got an event tonight, so I will do it, but I'm not going to be full of energy. <laughs> Uh, you know what what I wanted to say though is this is also for me it's also situational like I notice that um, when we go away somewhere I'm I'm more like I just do different things like when we're if we go on a holiday or something I might be more flirtatious with you throughout the day or do things a little bit differently whereas right now Are you still laughing about tonight? No, I'm laughing at you being flirtatious. Can you tell me how you're flirtatious? Because my flirtation, I should really... No, I I love it. I I love it. You know what? Years ago, so I want to be affectionate with you, but years ago you were like, you don't, you, you, you very rarely do you touch me. And I'm like, well, you know, I feel like in my head I touch you a lot. But then I realized over the course of a couple of days that you're right. I'm like, I don't do that even though I think I'm doing it. So then I started to, to, to be more conscious about how often I was touching you. And that actually started translating into more um, affection later on or throughout the day. Like you said, I guess it was those sex seeds that you and Marla were talking about. um, But let's go back to you. I was trying to to dance around that. (laughs) You being flirty. I'm like, hey, girl. (laughs) Yeah. No, I want to know because we, you know, how do you flirt? I'm interested. Well, it's certainly not with my words. No, I'm not challenging you. I just, I'm interested in... (laughs) Champagne, mountain range, lamb, (laughs) if you like nine-nine. There you go. Um, No, I'm interested in how you define it. How I define flirtation? To me, like tell me how you flirt with me. Yeah, I mean, my flirtation with you is is really through touch. Like I think that's what it is. I, I... I mean, there have been little times where I've played into some of the fantasies that I think, you know, you've expressed to me or perhaps that I've expressed to you, um, playing with power dynamics or, or things like that, or even um, like some forms of domination. And I don't mean that I am super dominant, just holding you or grabbing you a little bit harder or tighter or kissing you harder or uh, more passionately. And <laughs> I'm just not... I'm not good at flirting. <laughs> I don't. I actually disagree with that. I think you're really. Yes, I think you're really flirtatious. So even though I was laughing when I asked the question, <laughs> I'm flexing right now. He's showing me his bicep. I'm, <laughs> I'm flirting. Hey, girl. Champagne. Mountain range. <laughs> <laughs> Lamb. Okay. So no, I actually find you quite flirtatious, and I, I guess everybody's definition of flirtatious is different. But because you're so charming and you're funny. And can I just tell you that Brandon and I woke up and we're in tears this morning <laughs> laughing at the lawyer who showed up this, to the hearing on Zoom. This made with, my this made my week. With the cat filter. Oh, that was the best. And I'm sure most people have seen this. Uh, but it is so funny. He sounds like Bill Clinton. <laughs> He's not from Arkansas, he's from Texas, but he's got, I'm sure most of you have seen it and will have a chuckle. Those of you who haven't, they're on a Zoom meeting with a judge and he says, and he's here and the judge says, it appears you have a filter. So he's showing up as a cat and then his eyes dart down <laughs> to the bottom of the screen. Uh, they say you're not supposed to describe visual on audio mediums, but I can't help myself. Oh, you just, you but then he Google just it. says, then he just says, I'm I'm here live. I'm not a cat. Not a cat. <laughs> that was the best. But you know, even as we're talking and laughing, I can feel the 
like my tension or my stress levels starting to drop. So I think I was going to say, I think I'm very funny and that's the flirtation. I agree. But, but I think that me making jokes or making light of the situation is also a way for me to relax myself before having sex or the relations. Yeah, no, I, I find you flirtatious in your own way. You're, first of all, I think it's cultural, like you're Canadian. Yeah, eh? I don't, <laughs> no. I don't know what you're waiting for me to say. No, you're like, you're a hot hoser. <laughs> hey, uh, pass the bucket of pucks, no, eh? but just like having spent, you know, time in my teenage years in Jamaica, there's a different way uh, that folks will communicate with you when they're interested. What you mean is that the Jamaican men that I've seen express interest in somebody else have been the most eloquent like the most passionate. I'm I'm enthralled. I'm listening to them and I'm just like, <laughs> like oh my I'll... gosh. I'm like, where, where are we going? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's not that Jamaicans overall, like it's not like all the men are eloquent and effusive and flirtation. It's just that the culture itself to me is is a more flirtatious culture, is a more playful culture. Like the laughter is just different. And so I've taken us right off topic and I need to go back to this question, but I just want to say that I do think I like your flirtation. I love your flirtation. Um, for me, when you flirt with me, it's about paying attention to me. You know, it's all the kind, all the little acts of service. So you mentioned physical affection, but your acts of service are kind of never ending. Like you made me my espresso macchiato this morning. You made me one in the afternoon. Uh, I had a bunch of video shoots today. So you were fiddling with all the equipment and fighting with the <laughs> fighting with the light. And, you know, it's that I didn't have to do that. So I could fix my hair. Like, And you have your own. Apparently, you have a job of your own. <laughs> so, I think I have this company, but I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, it's. I think that you flirt in all those different ways. And in showing me that you care and showing me that you're attentive, it makes me feel connected to you. And that's that's not necessarily about initiating sex, but it's laying the groundwork. So if, if we were to go back specifically to sexual initiation, oh my goodness, you have so many options. So, to, so just to keep things fresh as you're asking. So you could watch porn together. You could even put on a movie with a bunch of sex scenes. Hopefully not Bridgerton. I did not like those sex scenes, but maybe other people do. Um, you could read her a sexy story. You could surprise her in the shower and, you know, just go down on her and then move into the bed for other types of sex. You could wake her up with oral. You could wake her up with a toy. You could leave a toy on the bed. You could leave a note letting her know what you want to do or what you want her to do. You can blindfold her and touch her her entire body only with the backs of your hands for five to ten minutes. You can get some massage oil and start at her fingertips while you look her in the eyes and slowly work your way up to her shoulders. You can put her on her stomach and, you know, use different tools to stimulate the back of her body. You can be physically playful. You can dance. You can touch. You can wrestle around. So these are just kind of a few options. I mean, they, I don't know if they compare to the poke from behind, but <laughs> just some some thoughts beyond. I really thought you were going to give me more than, than the poke from yeah, behind. Yeah, you put me on the spot. I mean, I even in thinking about things that this person could do for their partner, what I've done is I've just paid attention to what it is that you've said to me that you've liked in the past mm -hmm. and then made a real effort to try and follow through even when I feel like, like what though specifically like you've said you've liked to be you like to be looked at or admired and 
I used to like a juicy steak. <laughs> sure. Or tofu. <laughs> or tofu. But when I used to see you and admire you in the shower, and I would I would do it, and I but I don't think I would do it in a way that let you notice that I was really looking at you. No, like... <laughs> Hang on. Are you talking about when the, I'm in the shower and the, I see you, 10, like eight <laughs> fingers reach around the door and your eyes just peer in like a creep? No, not like that, <laughs> but thank you. But what I'm saying is I didn't realize that that was... I mean, that I wasn't conveying to you that that's what you really liked. So as as somewhat awkward as it was for me to kind of sit there for the first time and to, you know, really admire you, and um, I did that. And I hope that, I mean, I, it certainly worked, but I think that you liked it and then it turns <laughs> into something else. So it was just, what I was trying to say is just be willing to kind of push maybe your comfort zone in terms of what your partner is looking for, like um, having a conversation or, or you know, considering what kind of fantasy and, and that, that appeals to them. Yeah, and also realizing that like what I like might make someone else uncomfortable. Like some people yes. don't want to be admired in the shower. Uh, you know, I, I, for me, it always goes back to how you make your partner feel. So I talk often about the core erotic feeling. How does she want to feel? Does she want to feel sexy or loved or powerful or submissive? Because sex is so much more than the physical and the emotional to me is often the most powerful. So I hope I hope this helps. <laughs> Thanks, Brandon, for sharing. No, but I don't think I helped at all, but you're welcome. Mm, at least we got to talk about the cat video. <laughs> if you haven't seen The Lawyer as a Cat, Google that. You're just, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I've watched it like eight times today. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> uh, so our next question, they didn't give me any information about who they are or where they are, but they said, what are the apology languages? I saw you talk about them briefly on your IG. So most people have heard of the five love languages and apology languages are from the same creator, Gary Chapman and a partner. And so they suggest that there are five languages of apology and you need to understand which language your partner wants you to speak. So the five languages of apology, and there's going to be some caveats here, okay? I'll explain what it is, but I have some stuff to say about this, are expressing regret accepting responsibility, making restitution, genuinely repenting, requesting forgiveness. Now, I, I just want to bring up that Chapman's work is, root, is rooted in religion. And, uh, you know, I've seen many criticisms of his work around uh, it being exclusionary, being very hetero-focused. Uh, that doesn't mean that we can't learn something from it. But the theory is that you have to figure out what matters most to your partner. And of course, I'm sure he has a quiz. I didn't even go look for it, honestly. Um, and I know quizzes are attractive, but I really want to encourage people and suggest that the best way to figure out what your partner wants, whether it's in bed, whether it pertains to an apology, whether it's you know what they want on their chicken wings, the best way to figure out is to ask them. So, and not once, right? So if I ask you, what sauce you want on your chicken wings today and you say honey garlic that doesn't mean that every time we have chicken wings you must want honey garlic so similarly when it comes to apologies whether it's with an intimate partner or anyone else in your life what we want from that apology can vary from situation to situation from person to person and so all of these things you know the expression of regret taking responsibility making restitution repenting requesting forgiveness those things can all matter but i don't think it's as simple as you know here's the one that i need 
Um, I think, you know, these components can all be important depending on what you're apologizing for. So I don't believe that any of these things, you know, even love languages, you know, even like core erotic feeling, they're not static or mutually exclusive. Uh, I think it's a decent place to start the conversation when apologizing, like to figure out what is it. Listen, I'm genuinely sorry. I want to make this right. And to understand how I can do that. Sure. Um, I think the framework is helpful as a starting point, but also it can be really reductionist and it can be limiting. And this is something we talked about briefly when we had Dr. Gina DiGiulio and we were talking about uh, attachment styles. That, you know, it's fine as a framework, but as humans, we're fluid, right? Like we don't have this one thing. It's not an, you know, an amulet that you wear and never, ever change. I don't know why I chose an amulet. That's a very strange, strange image just came into my mind. So it's a good place to start the conversation. But I, and another piece that's really important around the love languages, around the apology languages, around attachment styles is that these systems are Western. And I think it was on your Diagnonsense's Instagram where he talks about this in greater depth. And I'm always reminded of that, that these, when we come up with these systems that are created in the West for the West, they don't necessarily consider cross-cultural experiences. So they might be helpful to you. And if they are, that's cool. I, I don't want to disparage something that's helpful to you. I just want you to realize that they're not universally helpful. So if they're not helpful for you, that's okay too. All right, so that's the apology languages. Brandon, you always complain that I put you on the spot, mm-hmm. but this question is for you because, first of all, folks sometimes write in and you know say how much they love Brandon, and I love that. And then there was someone who wrote something about how I love how she lets her husband talk, and I loved that because <laughs> I was like, I do let <laughs> well, you. Well, that's like when you Google, <laughs> if you Google my name, it says Jessica O'Reilly's husband. Ba-dum-bum. Ba-dum-bum. <laughs> so this person says, my question is for Brandon. You've spoken a few times about how you used to fly off the handle in conflict and now have learned to keep your cool while also honoring your own feelings. I'm a hothead. <laughs> I know it. And I just feel my blood boiling whenever my girlfriend and I fight. Uh, so how did you learn to keep your cool? And this is a, a young person who's a college student. Wow. Well, it took a long time for me to learn, unfortunately, because I feel like I didn't think a lot about why I was blowing off the handle, like I was losing my cool. And I, I had this behavior modeled growing up, so I didn't really know much differently. So when I started realizing I... Um, I noticed initially it was physical, like it was a physiological response that uh, that I started. So once I started figuring out that these triggers were happening, I could identify them and then be like, okay, I know where I'm headed, right? It's like I can feel myself getting antsy, my heart is racing, and I feel like when I get really upset, it's like the blood doesn't run to my rush to my brain to help me think. So when I started noticing those triggers, I started breathing, like take using some of the, um, some of the tools at my disposal to bring myself back down before I started losing my cool. So acknowledging those uh, physiological sensations, engaging some of the tools to like bring them back down. So some, some deep breathing, even just something as simple as, um, standing up and, and walking around pacing helped me a little bit. Uh, sometimes I'd rub, rub the palm of my hand 
um, to help focus and just bring attention to sensation. And then once I was able to just recognize where I was headed, I could then start talking to myself and say, you, you know what you've done in the past. You know how you tend to respond. Don't respond that way. So how do you, you know, and then from that point, it was just like, okay, so if I'm not going to respond that way, what is it I'm, you know, I'm actively, I would have to actively listen, pay attention, take responsibility for what the issue was. Like these things are a lot easier for me to understand in the moment when I can think about them rationally. So it was really for me, the, the, the big, I guess, eye opener was recognizing that these physiological sensations triggered this blowing of steam. Um, so if I could temper those down, then I was able to control how I responded. And then I was just able to respond or I'm able to respond much more rationally, logically. I'm able to listen to, to Jess when we're in an argument rather than have things kind of just reverberate off of me or, or rebound off of me and not actually absorb what's being said. Um, I could have a whole podcast just about this. <laughs> you can I think it's really interesting that you start with the physical. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask about something else to do with like your greatest fear. Like are, when you act, when you respond with rage, is there an underlying fear, like a fear of being wrong, a fear of being left behind, a fear of like, have you had to overcome any of that? Um, I think the fear was, is more this, fear of doing something wrong. And chances are, I I mean, if I am wrong, I've done something wrong. I need to acknowledge that. I need to accept that. And that in itself was probably most difficult, especially when, and again, I'm making reference to an argument that you and I, Jess, you and I are having. I don't want to do anything to hurt you, number one. I don't want to do anything I have the deep rooted fear of doing something just wrong, like being at fault for things. So I wouldn't want you know, there to be any sort of circumstance where I could have done something wrong. And I mean, ultimately, it's like, you just have to take responsibility for your actions sometimes. Hmm. So, um, you know, all of this ultimately, though, came from the ability, my ability to just be like, take some deep breaths, rub your hand, you know where you're headed, don't go there. So like, even when we're fighting, do you rub your hand? Uh, not so much anymore. I find now just... Now you scratch your butt. <laughs> yeah. No, now the, just the breathing... And knowing where I'm headed means that I'm able to control it and, and not go there. So I want to ask this process, because you you know what, what you first described is complex and it takes some time and energy. Yeah. Have you found over time that you don't have to enact all of those behaviors because it's become more natural for you? It has. And that's what I was saying at the beginning. It took a long time to mm -hmm. get there. And it was because, you know, in the circumstance... You need to get into that that situation to recognize it, to not let it happen, and it doesn't it doesn't just happen immediately. At least for me, it took a number, and I apologize now, of arguments for me to start really having some success. So not just three, not just no, <laughs> no. but that that's I mean, and it, and it takes time. So having having a partner, I think who you know, knows that you're working on these things and, you know, is, is empathetic to your, to, to you. And, and of course you're doing the same t for them ultimately results in, you know, long-term win for everybody. Well, I'm regressing. <laughs> oh, really? Have you noticed that? I don't know. I just feel like I get more angry more quickly lately. And I think it relates for me 
to anxiety, right? My, I, I'm, a, I'm a low anxiety person who's experiencing higher levels than baseline for myself anxiety since, um, well, 10 months, 11 months ago. Um, not, And it's not actually so much specifically about COVID because I'm, of course, one of the privileged people who can work from home and who can stay safe and isn't on the front lines and, you know, isn't working in a grocery store. Or, and I'm, I'm living in a province where, you know, I'm really, I can just sit in my house and be safe. So it's not related to the pandemic itself. It's related to the way my lifestyle has changed, like sitting still and being in one spot and not having as much uh, adrenaline and not having as much excitement and not meeting new people. Uh, all of those things, I think, help to attenuate my need for very quick pace and fast change. And I don't have that now. So my anxiety is higher. And because my anxiety is higher, sometimes, you know, anger is triggered by other feelings, right? It could be guilt. It could be anxiety. It could be other things. For me, it's anxiety. So I say I'm regressing like uh, you're not even going to want to answer this. But no, I'm, have, I'm, you, have you noticed that I flip faster? I definitely have. But I'm I. <laughs> what the I hell? Too, yeah, really, but I've. <laughs> I've been doing the same too. I mean, I was so frustrated this afternoon. I was, you mentioned getting this, you know, getting everything set up for your, your videos and, you know, audio recordings and stuff. I mean, if you come down, I was almost being asphyxiated by these cords while I was trying to set them up. I mean, I was going to lose my crap. The cords were alive. Yeah, they were, but it's, it's You're like so something, dramatic. That, it's something that wouldn't normally bother me. I'm, I, I was thinking in my head, I'm like, I just want to punch this table. You know what I mean? I'm like, what is that going to accomplish? But Everybody, I feel that in my circle has just been much more irritable <laughs> since since this pandemic began, and I think it's it's just the the change and this forced change that we've all been subjected to. Right, and it's worse, of course, for people who don't have the same access to safety. Right, like so oh for folks goodness. who yeah. are already living in the margins in some way, for folks who are forced to go to work, for people who are living in regions where. You know, profit, I guess, is prioritized over public safety. I know there are places that are safe, like the East Coast of Canada. You yeah. know, they don't really have any cases and whatnot. But yeah, we're, we're very lucky in our situation and yet mm -hmm. still feeling very frustrated. Yeah. So thank you, Brendan. I, I thought you were going to just delay and try not to answer that question. So that was, I thought that was that was really helpful for yeah, me I as mean, well. I, I, I hope that it helps. I mean, that's what works for me. And I'm sure once you figure out what works for you, I mean, over time it will work. And again, it all goes back to communicating too with your partner. I think if you're conveying to them that you really do want to to, to improve in that realm, you know, they're, they're going to listen, they're going to hear you and they're going to, they're going to, probably be more patient with you. Especially if you talk about that when you're not fighting, right? Like to yes. go back and say, listen, when I get riled up, uh, you know, I saw you yesterday, you were sitting on the stairs and I was giving you a hard time about some work stuff, like not giving you a hard time, just pushing you yeah. on some yeah. issues that I felt, I don't know, might be helpful to be pushed on. <laughs> and I could see that you yeah. were, you were getting upset. Yeah, I was. And I'm curious, even in that moment, how do you soothe yourself? Yeah, it, it, again, it just goes back to, um, I mean, now I, it, thinking back on that moment, I didn't even think about the breathing or, or any of those relaxation uh, responses that I initially started with. I felt like I was able to do that by default. What I really had to focus on yesterday in that moment when you were pushing me so hard and challenging me in a good way w was to listen. I was like, just listen to what's being said because immediately I used to put up these barriers. It was like, no, 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 answer everything. It's like firing back with these answers. And it's like, no just listen for a minute and and it 
I mean, <laughs> yeah, it you're worked. You're so like you're so good at growth. <laughs> yeah, just, I don't know. No, you are. I, you like, know, but it, it was it it worked. We I got through it. <laughs> I'm so, yeah, you survived me. Uh, I'm super impressed with you. Okay, let's tackle a couple more quickly. So this is a simple question: What percentage of people actually cheat? At twenty four percent. So when we look at you know an aggregate of studies, it's about a quarter of people admit to having cheated. Uh, that doesn't mean that that's the total number who have ever cheated, but that's the total number admitting that they've cheated in their relationship. So, you know, it might be probably higher than that. Because I was going to say, I thought it might be higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, cheating is defined differently by different people. It's individual, it's cultural, there are a lot of, it's gendered, there are a lot of different things at play. So we'll leave it at that and get to one more. This person writes, I want my boyfriend to be more dominant in bed. He's gentle and slow and loving, and I like that. But how do I tell him to be more aggressive? I'm 22. He's 25. Okay. Uh, that That's a really interesting question because I do wonder if he's gentle and loving and slow because there has been so much emphasis on having men in particular slow down and tune into the sensual and emotional elements of connection, which is all, you know, well and good. But I think the bottom line is that there's no universal formula. So even if 99 people want their partners to slow down, there'll always be one who wants them to speed up. Even if 99 people like a gentle caress, there will always be one who wants it rougher. And and that's cool because there are no universal rules. But I worry that in trying to address and undo the damage of gendered stereotypes, especially as they pertain to sex, I wonder if we have accidentally made the mistake of rewriting new rules instead of just focusing on doing what feels good for you and expressing your needs openly. And so that's it. I mean, how do you let him know? You let him know what you like. You show him with your hands. You tell him what you want to hear. You show him a character from a show whose dominant sexual personality appeals to you. You guide him. You treat him how you want to be treated sometimes and let him know that you're modeling the behavior. And I think it's important to remember that when we ask for something different or new, We are not disparaging what came before that. And we need to be really open to both asking and receiving these new requests as well. When our partner wants something new, it doesn't mean they want to discard all that is old. It's an addition, not a substitution. And it's not a zero-sum game. Ooh, you dropped some bombs there. (laughs) Thanks, babe. (laughs) You're you're my Charles Boyle. (laughs) You know, on on that note, that is all the time we have for today. Babe, I like sitting down and chatting with you like this. Yeah, that's great. You put me on the spot some more. Yeah, you you did great, though. <laughs> I No, people always tell me how much they appreciate your insights. No, I love it. And, it, you know, I, I think anytime people uh, can share with each other and just hear other people's stories, I think it, it's only going to help, you know, you or us uh, improve our relationships, improve ourselves and you know, I, I wish we could, you know, I'd love to talk more to people and hear what their stories are and what questions they have. So keep them coming. Yeah, you don't have to be an expert to be a guest. So if, if there are people who want to share stories and insights, 
I mean, we don't have to be an expert. Yeah, I was like, Brandon's I was like, I'm here to throw me. So yeah, for sure. <laughs> so so do reach out. Um, thank you so much for listening. Please do subscribe, review, and share. And of course, thanks to this new partnership with Wal- Walgreens, folks. Highly encourage you to check out the options around HIV counseling and prep via walgreens.com slash prep. That's walgreens.com slash P-R-E-P. Wherever you're at, hope you have a wonderful week. We'll be back next Friday and every Friday with a brand new episode. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.